of the sky! Look! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Matt Spectro through the multiverse! Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. I am your host, Matt Spectro, lifetime comic fan, lifetime animation fan, and this is the podcast exclusively about animation springing from the world of comic books. Welcome to episode 28. Before we get into it, I'm going to briefly explain the rules. Number one, comic book animation. I just said that. You should have been paying attention. Number two. Always been a big fan of team-up books, DC Comics Presents, Brave and the Bold, Marvel Team-Up, Marvel 2-in-1, so it's always me and a special guest teaming up to tackle comic book animation. And third, and most importantly, we gotta have fun. Before we get into it, I'm gonna bring on my guest right now. He was previously on our Iron Man episode. Welcome to the multiverse, my good pal, Francis. Hey, Matt, how you doing today? Good, what's going on? Oh, I'm here to talk about some Conan. Uh, this guy, spoiler alert, this guy, what the hell? We're going to get the audio right this time. Uh, if you heard the last time Freddie was on, we had some issues with the audio. You had issues with the audio. I was fine. <laughs> that was the first time on my new laptop, so that, that, that's going to be corrected this time. Welcome to episode 28. I believe we're here, huh? Indeed it is. And like uh, my esteemed colleague said, this week we are talking Conan the Barbarian. And we uh, went back and forth a lot on this subject where I argued that Conan might not meet the qualifications for my show because he really wasn't originally a comic book. But see, I made the argument that one, the pulp magazines were the original comic books before they existed. And two, in the 70s, Conan pretty much saved Marvel Comics from going into bankruptcy when they brought it on. So I think it qualifies. All right. Well, we can bait all day. We're going to do it regardless. You can throw your two cents out there if uh, you want as well. Like I said, we were talking Conan the Barbarian. Before we get into the cartoon, we're going to get a little bit of the history of Conan the Barbarian. Really, you might argue there were others before, but really the beginning of the sword and sorcery genre really was Conan the Barbarian. I would agree. Because like I know like King Arthur and whatnot was around before him, but I don't know if that really fantasy, not as much sword and sorcery. Indeed. Conan the Barbarian was created by uh, Robert E. Howard, who originally published him in the pulp magazine, Weird Tales Magazine, back in 1932, predating Superman, predating Batman, one of the earliest. Robert E. Howard was an American. I believe he lived in Texas, if I'm not mistaken. Cross Plains, Texas. There you go. He's, uh, he's not on here by accident, folks. He created Conan the Barbarian, the... Uh, First Conan story that was published back in 1932, The Phoenix of the Sword. Phoenix on the sword. On the sword. I apologize. Now, uh, some of the research said that he was highly influenced by a uh, book, The Outline of Mythology, written by a Thomas Bulfinch back in 1913. You substantiate any of this? Weren't we all? <laughs> Supposedly, he also... Uh, Corresponded with one H.P. Lovecraft a little bit. And yes, they, they were big pen pals. Claim that both of their books have subtle references to the other ones. They do. 
pretty much this is the launch of the sword and sorcery genre. Now, he had done, if I'm not mistaken, Call the Conqueror before Conan. Yeah, he did Call, which kind of flopped a little bit. And then he actually, Solomon Kane was the next thing that really sort of took off, which is where they really sort of credit the sword and sorcery being invented. And Conan came after that, and that really blew up. Now, it's in a uh, mythical land, the uh, Hyborian Age, if I'm, not, if I'm saying that correctly. Yes. And different, looking, doing my research, some different theories were presented. One was that he didn't want to be restrained by any historical facts. That's why he did that. Some say he didn't have access to a lot of historical books and records where he lived in Texas because there wasn't a lot of libraries, no internet, and that's why he uh, went with a more a non-existent uh, world as opposed to actual history. Well, the Pyborian Age was designed to be very similar to our history. Like every country is sort of an amalgamation of existing countries. He basically did that so that he could kind of make things up because you'll be too tied down trying to do strict historical stories because if you don't get it right, everyone's going to point it out. But if you put a little fantasy twist on it, you know, you can do whatever you want and still be sort of semi-historical, which is why he did that. And it claimed that it didn't really catch on until his third Conan story, which something to do with an elephant was the... Uh, Tower of the Elephant. Tower of the Elephant. That's when it really picked up. And I believe uh, he had written quite a few books. Most were published when he was alive. According to the research, the last full Conan story he wrote that was published was uh, The Veil of Lost Women, which wasn't published until 1967. Yeah, he actually wrote one novel well, published one novel, a Conan novel. Everything else were all uh, short stories and um, things for the pulp magazines. I didn't know this until doing my research. Uh, tragically, uh, four years later, Robert E. Howard committed suicide in 1936. Uh, a lot of speculation on that, but they claim that when he found out his mother, who had suffered from tuberculosis her whole life, when she he found out she went into a coma and most likely was not going to wake up, that he proceeded to shoot himself and commit suicide yes 30 years old crazy to think about so um over the years they had published a lot of his stuff uh i believe um it didn't go into public domain initially i don't know who owned the rights after he passed away to conan there is a a robert e howard estate that still holds rights to this stuff so they sell people the rights to publish whatever but they still exist and have some control over it so then we go into, uh, over the years, uh, throughout the 40s and 50s, they had, and in the 60s, like I said, they had printed some of his work. The late 60s came around, and Roy Thomas, the legendary Roy Thomas, was the assistant editor at Marvel Comics, said he had gotten a lot of fan requests for them to do licensed characters in Marvel, which they hadn't done yet, really, at that point. I, they might have done some Tarzan comics at that point. And uh, Conan had come up quite a bit, uh, and he wanted to do it. So he contacted... Uh, Glenn Lord, I believe his name, who was the agent of the aforementioned Ron Howard estate. And they kind of went back and forth. And finally, apparently Roy Thomas got him to agree to a royalty of $200 an issue they would get, as well as he, he really sold them on this would uh, enhance Conan's brand. So the already published Robert Howard estate titles would sell more, making them more money ultimately as well. And he was right. Once they agreed to it, they didn't have any money for the comic, really. So originally, John Buscemi was supposed to be the artist, but they couldn't afford him because they were already giving $200 an issue. So they actually got Barry Windsor Smith, who at the time was very new to comic books, but he would come cheap. 
and he became the artist for the Conan the Barbarian comic book, which when you think about it, I mean, it seems silly now, but it was a big risk for Marvel. They had never really done any of these type of characters in their comic books. Uh, and everyone knows the legendary Barry Windsor Smith, who I believe was still going by Barry Smith at the time. Yes, he wasn't hoity-toity yet. <laughs> and then in 1970, Marvel Comics printed the first issue of Conan the Barbarian, which was not an instant hit. I believe it was bi-monthly at first. And then it kind of took off in the 70s. Not only was it very successful for Marvel, but it kind of like brought another sword and sorcery back into the mainstream in the 70s as well. That went all the way into the early 80s, if you remember correctly. Yes. <laughs> Is there anything particularly appealing to you about Conan that above all the other barbarians and sword and sorcery type stories? Uh, basically everything. I mean, it was the template for, name it, Beastmaster, any of these terrible movies you got in the 80s and <laughs> the, the 100 comics that were just like it but different. I mean, it's just the best. And uh, that series, uh, Roy Thomas wrote, I believe, uh, over 100 issues of that series. And it lasted all the way until 1993, where that particular run was canceled, even though they've done numerous Conan series after that. Still has a comic to this day, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he's actually back in Marvel these days, where he's an Avenger somehow. <laughs> Hanging out with Wolverine. And uh, while we were talking before, you had said that, uh, in your opinion, or maybe it's a fact, that Conan... Uh, Saved uh, Marvel Comics in the 70s. I've always understood the story to be that they had some financial troubles. They were basically throwing things against the wall where you get your Aquarian and, and Man God and all these strange 70s characters that went nowhere. So there's just really one more thing they threw against the wall. And of course, it was a fantastic success. Which did lead them to do a many, many uh, other properties, non-Marvel created properties in their own comics as well. Movie adaptions, but as well as Tarzan, John Carter's and Mars had a comic. They did a 2001 comic book. Shogun Warriors, Godzilla. God, yeah, very, very strange stuff. Now, I'm going to give full disclosure. I'm not, I don't dislike Conan, but I never was an avid reader of the comic book. I've read various stories in some of the miniseries, but I was never, it was not a character I followed consistently like Captain America, Hulk, Superman, anything like that. You... Have followed him the whole time. Do you have the entire run of the original Marvel series? I do. Unless I've missed something recently because I haven't gotten around to reading any of them. I've got everything Marvel's ever published. I should have all of what Dark Horse did in the previous 8-10 years that they had it. I don't have all the books because in certainly in like the 90s, they went crazy and just started publishing Conan novels like every other week. So there's a zillion of them. So I, I'm not sure I have all those yet. So you're including Savage Sword of Conan and Conan oh, the King. Absolutely. All right. Savage Sword of Conan, the greatest comic book ever published. Ever? <laughs> ever. Wow. I'll put it up against anything. <laughs> I'll fight you. So now we're going to actually get to the point of my podcast, the Conan cartoon, Conan the Adventurer. Yeah. Now, I couldn't find any real research of why they did not call it Conan the Barbarian. Maybe Barbarian is too... Uh, Probably. Too aggressive. Now, I want to take you back to the late 80s, early 90s, where there was this bizarre trend, if you're not as old as we are, you might not remember, if you're a younger viewer, where rated R movies were becoming cartoon properties. And toy lines. Brambo, RoboCop. Police Academy. Very bizarre. I don't know how this happened or why this happened, but it did. Um, 1992, Conan the Adventurer. Now, it was... Uh, Produced by um, 
Sunbow Productions, Jetlag Productions, and the first season, Graz Entertainment, developed by one uh, Christy Marks. She was a uh, writer of a cartoon. She had written episodes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Gem, G.I. Joe, and she wrote the comic book, The Sisterhood of Steel, as well. Huh. It was two seasons. Uh, it ran for 65 episodes. Even had a um, toy line that Hasbro released in uh, sync with it as well. Terrible toy line. <laughs> My God. Was it just a bunch of, uh, was it like Undersea Conan, uh, Winter Conan? They were like three or four Conans, the bad guy, Zula, I think, and maybe some like generic something and some horses. But they were big and clunky and stiff and out of proportion and very strange. Which also, uh, RoboCop, Rambo, all those. Maybe they thought these things would sell. Academy. All these things would sell toys and they needed a cartoon to go with them. Chuck Norris also had his own It's very strange. They also say this is not, has kind of an alternate continuity than the novels and comic book. It doesn't really follow the story exactly. And obviously, even though the violence is toned down considerably, they got complaints about it being too violent as well. My God, he doesn't mean kill anyone. (laughs) But we are going back to uh, the first episode. It was successful. It ran for two seasons. It was then followed up by, what was it, Conan the... Conan and the Young Warriors. Young Warriors, which was not as successful. only ran 13 episodes. Particular episode we're going to talk about, Night of Fiery Tears. Originally debuted September 13th, 1992. Written by Christy Marks. I only went into three of the characters when I go into the credit as credit is due. Conan, the only character not created specifically for the show, obviously created by Robert E. Howard. He's voiced by Michael Donovan, who also went on to voice him on Conan and the Young Warriors. Very, well, I wasn't going to say enough. I almost said famous voice actor. We'll say highly employed voice actor. (laughs) He had done voices on Battletoads, Batman the Animated Series, Masters of the Universe, and his most famous role, he's the voice of Granny Knot on Camp Candy. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> now, uh, by the way, almost every one of these credited I could find all said alternate voices, other voices. I could barely find any characters he voiced other than Granny Knot. So you know they went all out on this thing. <laughs> I mean, to his credit, Michael Donovan, he has a ton of voice credits. Like, he's been working... In voice acting for quite some time. He just, I guess, never reached the level of a Frank Welker or a Casey Kasem or somebody like that. Or a Kevin Conroy, for example. Now the villain, Rathamon. We'll get into more about him when we start talking about the episode. He is uh, voiced by uh, Scott McNeil. He's a very famous Canadian voiceover actor. He's done a lot of the uh, anime English translated. He did voices for Full Metal Alchemist, Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, just to name a few. And couldn't do this without a wisecracking animal sidekick, Needle, the fledgling phoenix, voiced by a Michael uh, Beattie, I believe is how you say. He is also a, I wouldn't say famous voice actor, but a very successful voice actor. He's done a voice in pretty much every movie Illumination Studios has produced, Despicable Me, The Grinch, Minions, all of them. Uh, he'd also voiced several video games. And he had done voices on not only the Care Bears, but Beverly Hills Teens. I don't even know what that is. Now, there are other characters that become prominent on the show, but they're either not on this episode or barely have any lines, so I didn't bother to go into them. What do you feel about Conan having a wisecracking animal sidekick? 
Now, I'm going to admit that I've maybe seen small snippets of this over the years. So it wasn't until I sat down and actually watched this episode that I found out about Needle. <laughs> Let's just say it's not a Robert E. Howard character and move on. Oh, on that note, we are going to watch Conan the Adventurer, The Night of Fiery Tears. We're going to talk about it in a few minutes. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Fighting tall out of legend comes the greatest warrior the world has ever known, Conan the Adventurer. Feel the power of the magnificent star metal sword as Conan fights side by side with his courageous allies, Zula, Jasmine, Grey Wolf, and Needle, in a never-ending quest to vanquish the evil snake wizard Rathamon and his ruthless serpent horde. It's adventure beyond imagination, danger beyond your wildest dreams, and action bigger than you've ever seen before. Legend of Conan the Adventurer. Conan! Coming soon from Hasbro. Look out, villains, creeps, and assorted bad guys. We're Those crazy cadets from Police Academy are busting out. The cavalry is on the way. And they'll stop at nothing until they get their man. Time to rock and roll, Jonesy. Hit the siren. So don't miss all the action on Police Academy, the series. Today at 3 on Channel 11. He bows to no man. But to bring back his only love, he'll have to battle a god of darkness. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Conan the Destroyer. Saturday night at 10 on TNT's Monster Vision. Meanwhile, behind the facade of this innocent-looking podcast... And we're back, and we just watched... Conan, the Adventurer, the Night of Fiery Tears. We, opening credits, it kind of explains the story, as well as one of the most amazing theme songs I've ever heard for any cartoon. Everybody listening to this needs to put this on their iPod or their phone and listen to it every day when you get out of bed. It's the most epic, amazing thing you will ever hear. I wish, I hope... If you're listening to this, you watch the episode during the break. It's like, Conan the Adventurer. It's right up there with the Karate Kid song and Eye of the Tiger. It's amazing. I'm not really doing it justice. Now, it's a little bizarre. They explain the story. I understand that for later on, but this is like an origin episode. <laughs> so, it's a bit of a spoiler the first time, but you know, you you can roll with it. I can understand down the road you want anybody to tune in and know what's going on, but on the origin episode, it's a little bizarre. So we open up with a campfire with a young Conan. So this is like a... He's a young man. He's like a teenager. He's not quite the Conan we know. And he's with his uh, grandfather. They're having a little chat, and Conan says that one day he's going to lead knights into battle, if you can uh, believe that. And uh, Now, this is one of, if I may interject, no, one, of the things, one of the things I always look for in these cartoons, knowing that they're going to monkey with it and kidify it and whatever, I look for references to the actual source material that you know fans will pop for. Yeah. And not only do we have... 
Conan's grandfather, who never shows up anywhere, other than as part of his backstory that he had a grandfather who went south and had adventures like he would, who talked him into how neat it was to be wandering around. That's kind of cool, but also he mentions the Knights of Poitain. Poitain's a region of Aquilonia where Conan would eventually become king, and one of his main sidekicks was the Knight of Poitain. So things like that I pop for. So. All right, see, folks, he's not on by accident. He actually knows something about Conan. No more about Conan than I do. They see there's a meteor shower in the sky. In fact, uh, his grandfather says that the sky has tears of fire. One of them actually lands right by him and knocks his grandfather right on his ass. Uh, they run away. They come to a cliff where uh, he's too old to jump, tells Conan to go away, but instead Conan piggybacks him and jumps over the cliff. A man among men. And then they find one of the rocks, the, the fiery tears, is uh, crashed in a little crater and it's glowing. They call it star metal. As you would. <laughs> then we switch over to a castle in a city and you see uh, this uh, bizarre human-snake hybrid thing. It looks about two to three feet tall, like a cobra, but he's got little hands and a face. The great little face kind of looks like Carl Malden. <laughs> he's yelling uh, about the, the meteors because he sees them as well. And he goes to get our main antagonist, Rathamon, telling him the sky is falling. Now, Rathamon is pretty badass looking, I got to say, but he does remind me a lot of Serpentor from G.I. Joe. Well, <laughs> these are the things that drive me crazy. Conan's arch enemy in the books is a wizard, a Stygian wizard named Thothamon, who he never actually comes face to face with either. They just he has plans and Conan screws him up somehow. So he's just a human sorcerer. But he's not a snake man. He's not a lizard man. He doesn't have Wolverine claws. He, <laughs> he doesn't get his hands dirty yelling at people like Skeletor. But that's basically what he is. He's like Skeletor with Wolverine claws, and he annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> Now, some of the Conan like fan things I found said that he was a substitute for Thulsa Doom from the Conan, the Barbarian movie. But other than the set connection... Which in itself, Thulsa Doom was actually a cull villain, not a Conan villain. They just used it for the movie. <laughs> he says that summoning him, and he has the black ring, which is uh, it's like a ring on his finger that looks like, kind of like a snake head. Which actually is a thing. That is a thing. Yes. Thothamon was the leader of the Black Circle, and he had the serpent ring. All right, signify all right. so that. They're not completely uh, going off the rails here. Oh, exactly. There's solid stuff here. All right, so we go back to the village, and they've collected a pile of these glowing rocks. It's like nothing they've ever seen. Conan's dad has ever seen, so now Conan's parents are in there as well. Yeah, they never show up anywhere either, other than being referenced. And his father is a blacksmith, which is what he is in this, so that's good. They say they're going to make weapons and tools like no one has ever seen. And they do. Then they go back, and there's Rathamon with a giant snake statue. He says, Mighty Set, I heed your call. Let your plower, plower, <laughs> let your power flow through my black ring. And the eyes of the giant snake light up. I got to say, I don't familiar with, uh, is Set a giant snake? or? Well, Set is the god of the Stygians in a very Egyptian sort of way. And he is represented as a giant co Statues and whatnot are represented as a cobra. It doesn't come to life and talk to you, but for a cartoon, we'll let it go. And he says that he's waited thousands of years for these stars to fall from the sky. His liberation is at hand. He explains the stars are the same metal as the black ring. I'll take his word for it. And what he needs to do is have uh, Rathamon build seven pyramids 
and put some of that star metal on top of it. That will free Set from the abyss, and then he will enslave the earth. I got nothing. <laughs> enslave the earth. What so an the original stakes, plan. The stakes are pretty high. Yes. We go back to the village. Conan and his dad, they're building swords. and uh, One sword. One sword, because after he makes it, he's so impressed. He says that uh, he's never going to make another one like it. Made daggers, though, inexplicably. But... And he says it's for Conan, but first he must earn it. And is this anything from any Conan lore? Or is this completely... Uh... Not particularly. You can maybe pull some rationale that young Conan was abnormally strong and did feats of strength to prove his manhood, I guess. The sword is pretty awesome looking, actually. It kind of reminds me of Schwarzenegger's sword and Conan the Barbarian. Yes, which is, I'm sure why they did it, because if you're any Conan, he, he loses swords left, right, and center. He, <laughs> he couldn't hold on to a special sword of his life depended on it. Conan's dad places the sword in a giant stone altar, which he puts a giant stone uh, cover on top of, and he says, uh, the sword is yours. When you're man enough to raise this stone. Which he tries his best, but he cannot do. Well, Conan claims he's man enough right now. But he cannot lift it. And if that wasn't bad enough, his dad laughs at him. (laughs) Seemed kind of nice at first. He builds him this uh, sword specifically for him, which he's not going to build anymore. But then he he humiliates him and laughs at him to boot. That's tough love, Matt. So a couple of years have uh, gone by, applies anyway, because Conan seems like he's older. Rathamon is talking to his soldiers, says they have not been able to find the metal anywhere, and tells them to keep looking. Then, it kind of jumps over the map, this cartoon, a little bit. Uh, there's a lot of cuts. From, <laughs> we go to a, uh, like a, a big flea market type thing where Conan's dad is selling daggers made out of the star metal, and he sells one for four gold coins. And he claims this this will never dull this uh, dagger made out of the sword metal. I'll take his word for it. Conan's looking at the horses. There's a wild black horse. It's getting out of control. They're trying to almost abuse it, but Conan frees them and uh, they get pretty mad at him and they try and shoot a crossbow at him, but thankfully he ducks. And then his dad steps in and actually breaks the crossbow. Then uh, we go back again to Rathamon who he finds out about a blacksmith that's been making weapons out of the star metal. They're going to go find this blacksmith to get it back. And he does. He does. Now, Conan's granddad tells Conan he's a man now. Soon he'll have to leave the village. Which now, the movie, Conan, you know, his parents were killed. His whole village was pretty much wiped out. Here, he just, like, implied that uh, he's just going to come a man and become an adventurer at the advice of his grandfather. Uh, which, which of those? Basic, that's basically how the books are. Okay. He says Conan must see the world, and he gives him a necklace that he won in battle. It's a combo of like jewelry and a shark tooth type thing that he gives him. Yeah. I... And when he gives it to him, he says, now you look like an adventurer. I, I don't know why. <laughs> if you didn't see it, Conan basically wears a cape, this necklace, boots, and like furry Like uh, the furry speedo, yeah. yeah. They, they, they couldn't give him a pair of pants to adventure him, but he's got a necklace. Then Rathamon shows up in a big chariot and it's pulled like by these like small dragon type creatures. He wants the blacksmith. Conan goes for the sword. Uh, the dad tells Rathamon he uh, he sold all the metal. Rathamon doesn't believe him, and he says, uh, "I'm going to destroy this village if you don't give me that metal." 
And then he fires like blast out of his ring, setting things on fire. Mandarin style. <laughs> Conan's having a hard time. He finally, though, does lift that stone and he gets himself the sword. And uh, then we cut back. So if you haven't caught on, there's a lot of cutting back and forth. <laughs> well, there's a lot of action here, a lot of things going on. Rathamon's going to make an example of them with the uh, spell of living stone. And he throws a pellet that releases smoke that turns both his parents and grandfather into statues. And know what he does after that, like any good villain? Laughs. Conan shows up, he pulls the sword, and the sword like glows and like lightnings come about. It's pretty awesome. When he fights this man, it breaks the spell that apparently they were snake-human hybrids that were disguised as humans the whole time. They were serpent men, which are a thing from Call, but they did show up in Conan as well. And basically, they can shapeshift and look human. And in the books, there's a phrase you say that if they can't speak it, they turn back into snake serpent men. So they basically did the same thing, but he has to use his little special sword to do it. And uh, when they turn into lizard men, Conan in... Uh Shocked, and we get our first Krom. Krom, you want to give people a, who don't know a little bit of the backstory? Krom is the god of the Sumerians. He doesn't answer your prayers, and he doesn't particularly care, but when you die, you climb the mountain of Krom, and if you cannot answer the riddle of steel, he cast you off of Baha. And like Arnold said. Which is from the movie. You won't help me now. The hell with you, Krom. You. All right, so um, he smashes their sword. And then he, uh, his sword causes like this giant portal to open up in the sky that sucks up both of the serpent men. Now, this is the thing that I dislike the most. <laughs> not only, okay, it's a cartoon. He's not going to kill anybody. But he just taps him with the sword and they poof up into a stupid portal. They're snake men. They're not, this, this whole altered, other dimensional set thing annoys me. Just kill him. <laughs> this is Conan. Well, uh... He then charges Rathamon, who tries to escape on his chariot. Conan, uh, he jumps right on there. A great Spider-Man moment where he just sort of webs himself and just flies off <laughs> without thinking twice about it. And then uh, his sword breaks Rathamon's spell, and he's uh, a serpent man as well. Shocking. Makes you wonder why he's wearing all this serpent attire, like a serpent helmet, serpent sneakers. Yeah, he's, for a guy in disguise, he's just kind of putting it over big. He's like head to toe in serpent gear, yet he has to disguise himself as a human. And uh, he says that uh, he's going to make anyone perish who has seen his true face. And he knocks Conan right off the uh, chariot. And then as he flies away, Conan raises his fist. I will find you, Rathamon! And a Sumerian always keeps their word. And then he says he swears by Krom he won't rest until he sets his family free. Then he, uh, he goes to that uh, black horse, the one he set free earlier. He's like, you need a name. And he gets on him. He says, I'll call you Midnight. Horse doesn't like that name at all. He tosses him right off. So he's like, all right, you don't like that name. Gets back on him. I will call you Mighty Avenger. Horse likes that one even less. (laughs) Throws him off. There's a great little animation shot where Conan's like massaging his ass after he's landed on it twice. (laughs) He finally settles on the name Thunder, which the horse seems to like. Horse likes that one. There's a great scene where he likes it, where both Conan and the horse kind of laugh at Thunder. <laughs> they find another city, which Thunder doesn't want to go into, and then uh, this wizard shows up, and he says, you won't find what you seek here, Conan. So he's kind of surprised this guy knows who he is. 
And he tells him he's got to go to Mount uh, Golomir. Yes. And look at that. I got that first time. Write it down. Multiverse history. Matt pronounced something right the first try. And then he has to, and now I'm going to blow it. Enter the yes. tomb of Epimetrius. Epimetrius the sage. Well hey, right, look at that. Two for two. And then he has to find the sign of the phoenix. Conan gets distracted by some doves, and when he turns around, the wizards disappeared, a la like Batman. <laughs> Just like Batman. <laughs> so he trusts his wizard, takes his word for it, even though he's never met him before this moment. And uh, he finds the mountain. There's a, uh, a rock that's like casting a shadow of a bird right on the mountain. And uh, Conan even says it must be the sign of the phoenix. Now, I'm going to reference earlier, phoenix of the sword was the very first Conan story. And it involved the spirit of Epimetrius the sage. Yeah, so it looks like they've done a little bit of research here. See, that's the kind of thing I like, bringing in the old school. He can't get in, uh, but then uh, he hits a secret button where a rock opens and it drops him into a big tomb. He's walking around, and uh, all of a sudden, out of the wall comes this giant forearm stone statue with swords. Because Conan said anyone there, and he even says, nobody here but us rock trolls. And they get into a fight where Conan pretty much destroys him with a sword. Pretty much, uh, really not that much effort for him whatsoever. Actually, this is the best part of the episode because he splits him down the middle of his head with the sword. And before he disintegrates into dust, <laughs> the stone giant says, oh, dear. And then uh, Conan says, uh, looks like I'm off to a rocky start. Eh? Bump. Eh? That wizard shows up again and he reveals he's the... Uh, I'm not going to push my luck, so you uh, do the pronunciation of who he reveals he is. Epimetrius the Sage. He's his ghost. He explains to Conan that uh, thousands of years ago, the uh, Set was trying to take over the world. He was going to try and enslave all of humankind, but all the wizards teamed up to trap him in the abyss. I would like to point out in this point, they in the flashback, they show this giant uh, Set pyramid with a giant flaming eye over the top of it. Now, I'm not saying that they stole that from Lord of the Rings, but they pretty much stole that from Lord of the Rings. Uh, he also says that uh, Conan is going to become the greatest champion of humankind, and only he can stop Set. You're damn right. You know, sword and sorceries, no matter what it is, they really do love prophecies and chosen ones and those kinds of things. Yes, yeah, this is, no pun intended, the double edge of sword and sorcery. is Sometimes when it works, it's great. And the rest of the time, it's as terrible crutch, as boring as hell. <laughs> so it's a real fine line to walk. It's one of the reasons I think Conan the Barbarian, the movie, stands out so much, because it's one of the few that's not a quest. Right, he's just doing stuff. Yeah. He's on a revenge mission, but he's not on a quest to find some magic item or you know that prophecy that goes back thousands of years. And the weakest part of Conan the Destroyer is that they sent him on a quest. <laughs> they did, but uh, that was poor. Uh, didn't uh, Roy Thomas and Gary Conway write that? Uh, yeah, they Conway? had some hand in it. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's it's on them. Even though they claim that their script actually doesn't resemble the. Uh, well, the, that wouldn't the surprise movie. me at all. In fact, there's a story I believe where at the premiere, Arnold puts his arms around Roy, and I don't know if this is true, around Roy and Jerry. Conway and says, we did it, guy. And they both like were embarrassed because like their screenplay barely even made the <laughs> Do you think Arnold even knew who they actually were? <laughs> Probably not. Arnold's just a he's just a fun loving guy. And uh, waiting for you to make the sequel. <laughs> oh, you didn't make the sequel. They um 
<laughs> Inside joke there for the guy sitting across from me. <laughs> he reveals that the metal could set set free, and uh, Conan needs to destroy the black ring, which will undo Set's spell. Which now we're pretty much explaining what the whole crux of the entire cartoon is going to be. Yes. Which is basically Conan preventing Rathamon from bringing back Set and getting revenge and freeing his parents. You've basically seen every episode at this point. <laughs> so he says he's going to need help. So he's going to try and wake up the fledgling Phoenix Needle. He's very fledgling. He's only 100, this Phoenix. He's trying to wake him up out of a magic shield. He can't get him to wake up. Finally says it's an order. And Needle says that no way he's sleeping. But if it's an order, he's going to wake up. And he tells him he doesn't have to yell. Now, I got to (laughs) say, this is just like Orca or uh, Snarf or any of these multitude of animal sidekick, wisecracking buffoon characters that... I guess it's supposed to relate to the kids. Is that what it's uh, supposed to be? Sell the most toys or something? I guess. But I just love the fact that both the hero and the villain have equally goofy-ass animal sidekicks. <laughs> Did they make a needle figure in that time? Hasbro I, I don't believe so, but I'm going to have to go back and look because now I want him in the snake. He says he doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to team up with no big dumb barbarian. That is the best part is he's totally shitting on Conan the entire time <laughs> for being a dumb oaf. Doesn't call him an adventurer. Calls him a barbarian, by the way. Well, he is. And uh, he tells him that uh, without doing any good deeds, Needle's never going to grow up. Now, he don't care. He goes back into the thing, and he's going to go back to sleep. Conan even says he doesn't need this uh, stupid phoenix to even help him out. He doesn't even want him. But the guy insists anyway. So instead, he gives Conan the shield that he's hiding in. It said it once belonged to the king of Atlantis. Is that okay. call, or is that... Uh... I mean... Could be a vague reference to such. Conan goes to a uh, different city. Needle sneaks off because he's going to steal a pomegranate. Yes, he's crazy for pomegranates. <laughs> Aren't we all? Conan uh, snatches him, uh, calls him his parrot, <laughs> and apologizes for him and tells Needle that uh, he doesn't have any money to buy the pomegranate. Then some mysterious woman was overhearing this, uh, tells him, hey, do you need a job? Conan attracts the ladies. What can I tell you? <laughs> She offers him a job on her brother's boat, but first we'll go to the inn and uh, get you fed. And Conan even says he's starving. Next scene is Conan in the inn with a girl who, you think the tip-off would be, not only, she's not even sitting down, let alone eating with Conan, just stuffing his face with everything in the inn. But this is a young Conan. This is a, he's new to the ways of civilization. It's like a Batman Begins scenario where it's, you know, it's a younger Conan really uh, finding his chops. Exactly. And obviously for... Yeah, I had to see this coming. Uh, the, the food is drugged and Conan passes out. And this other guy shows up who I think is actually her brother. She wasn't lying about that. Well, has a different accent than her for some strange reason. <laughs> they make sure that uh, the audience knows they're, they're working for Rathamon. They're really serpent men. Yeah. So then Conan wakes up and he's on a giant ship. He's chained. And this is where we get our first introduction to uh, Zula. Zula. Who is becomes a major character in the cartoon, but he barely has an appearance on this episode. Yes, I actually skipped ahead and watched the second part, so he has a prominent role in that. And also notable, he's the only character, other than uh, Conan and Epimetrius, basically, who actually show up in the comics. Now, is Zula a creation of Robert E. Howard or the comic books? He was a creation of the comics. Not to get out of onto the next episode, but you find in the comics, he's a, he was an escaped slave from the wizard city of Kashan, where he... 
his master taught him some basic mesmerism so he can, you know, Jedi mind trick people. In this, for some reason, he can control animals, like Animal Man for some reason. <laughs> so, but you don't see that till the next episode. So um, Conan's chain, they're on this big like Viking ship rowing the boat, and Zula tells him that you're a slave on a slave ship going to ra- the pits of Rathamon Slave Island. So I'm sensing a theme of slavery at this point. <laughs> well, they were dark times. What can I say? And uh, he's not happy. Conan stands up, chain screaming that he he's going to get revenge. And then uh, he gets whipped right in the back by one of Rathamon's men. And right on that note, flashing on the screen, to be continued. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and we get clips from next week's episode, which kind of gave you a lot of, I'm not going to get into it now, but gave you a lot of spoilers when uh, you saw what was going to happen. Well, you had to keep the kids coming back. Not the best cliffhanger I've ever seen. It's not like a giant monster is about to kill him or he's going to save someone. It's just Conan's in trouble. He's on a slave ship. Can't give it all away in the first episode. (laughs) I suppose you're right. And there you have it. Conan, the adventurer, the knight of fiery tears. Well, we're going to get a little bit into our uh, our review a little bit, but uh, in a second. But uh, I got to say the animation style is doesn't stand out any more than the multitude of cartoons in the late 80s and 90s, I feel, especially the ones that were trying to sell toys. Well, I thought it was better than many I've seen. I mean... It wasn't bad. I wouldn't say it was bad. i just say it didn't stand out. They didn't just completely spend $12 on it and just spit it out. I mean, they did a fairly good job. Well, like, you know, like when um, Batman, the animated series, that that was animation that stood out at the time. Um, It's not that level, but it's not... It's... Middle of the pack. I mean, it's not It's not like people talking when their lips aren't moving and things like that. How, and you might include this in your review, how faithful overall to the Conan mythos would you describe this cartoon? Uh, fairly faithful. I mean, we talked about the occasional references to actual stuff. And also, they, could, they have the basic idea is that he goes south adventuring, has adventures, makes friends along the way and allies and fights wizards and monsters. And the real strong departure is basically the whole quest to free the family and that whole bit, which is tired and boring. And that doesn't really exist. But then I understand why you've got to give them something to just not be wandering the world doing an overall story arc for the entire cartoon. I will say, I, I don't think this was all that successful in selling toys. No, because they were terrible. Now, I believe this show is on, they've released on DVD. Am I not correct? Uh, this one is on DVD. The second show is not on DVD, but you can get it if you want the right dark corners of the. <laughs> so it's going to the adventure like an official release? It's not one of those. Yes, bo- it was officially released. First season is on one disc and the second season is two sets. And any special features? Uh, not really, no. All right, there you have it. Enough with that. We're going to go right over to the spectrometer. Anyone new to the show, the spectrometer is where we rank what we just saw. Zero spectros being awful, terrible. Four spectros being you can't get any better than that. Freddy or Francis, how are you going to rank Conan the Adventurer, the Knight of Fiery Tears? I'm going to give it a three. Because really, my only problems with it really are Rathamon is pretty lame, in my opinion, compared to what it could be. And the, the adventure 
overarching quest gimmick. I mean, you like I said, you have to have it. So, I mean, I can excuse that. There's enough fan service there of some fairly obscure stuff that uh, made me excited. I think I'm going to give it a three as well. Uh, the animation, I thought, even though it didn't stand out, was solid. There was nothing wrong with it. It's not too dumbed down for kitties. My only real complaints is, which, I mean, there's no getting around it. You're doing a show about a barbarian with sword and sorcery, but you can't stab or uh, kill anyone unless it's a, yeah. uh, a, a rock troll. And I got to say, just, I don't know, maybe I'm getting older and cynical, but needle, really, I mean, really necessary. Well, I'll give it this. It's actually less annoying than some of those other funny sidekicks we've mentioned. And he actually does do useful things as opposed to just, you know, getting lost down the well or something. Like you usually say, he actually helps. <laughs> like so many, not just cartoons, but sword and sorcery shows and movies, they seem to always have a bumbling... uh idiot <laughs> sidekick like the mechanical owl from clash of the titans or something yeah, even like the witcher has this menstrual friend who is not oh. not on every episode but now there's a useless character like it seems to happen a lot at least they didn't resort to the cliche of uh the side character makes wacky like current event type references oh, that God. yeah he doesn't reference an iphone or anything like that i don't know if you saw it where you watched i watched the actual dvds going in and out of the commercials there's little they have like little sweepers where they take a little snippet of the animation and they have whatever characters in it. Talk about, oh, we got to go to the car- the oh, commercial yeah, we'll now. We'll be right back. <laughs> oh, they, no, I didn't have that when I oh, watched it. They do it with all the different characters and the, the voice actors. They're, they're really good. It's just an amusing thing, I thought. I really blame Orko for, the, for this because of his success. I really think in the 80s, oh, under the 90s, we got these kind of goofy clown yeah, characters. This all, came, this all stems from Orko. And I actually love Orko, but uh, the ramifications of that character, I swear, are still going on in 2021. Yeah, they basically they basically took like the Jabberjaw, Scooby-Doo kind of funny animal character and said, how do we squeeze that into everything? And that's where you got those guys. And I would assume it was an attempt to sell more toys, but like we established, we don't even think there was a needle figure or anything. It might, they might have been an accessory with it. I don't remember, but I don't think they were. Uh, but overall, I actually enjoyed it. I thought the animation was solid. He looks just like a younger Conan. Looks fantastic. Like the sword I thought was cool. There's some stuff to it. Some of it's a little goofy. Uh, I think it might get old if he doesn't go on any other adventures that don't involve Rathamon, but I have only seen this one episode. Well, there's different villains in the second series with the kids, for whatever that's worth. But as far as I know, it's all Rathamon all the time with this. <laughs> But overall, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I, I don't have really many uh, complaints to say. I'm not as much of a Conan expert, so uh, I'm not judging it based on any connection to the actual. I've read some Conan comics, but not enough to form an opinion of this is offensive to the comic or in tune enough to be considered okay. You know, given the choice between watching this and reading Savage Sword of Conan, I'm taking Savage Sword. But I mean, this is a good time. So speaking on behalf of Conan fans, do you think a majority of them would enjoy Conan the Adventure of the Night of Fiery Tears? Maybe once for a laugh. Watch it the same way you watch the live action show from the 90s. But there's no pure. They didn't do anything offensive enough that a purist is going to lose their mind, do you think? Nah. The least Conan stuff in it is just generic fantasy stuff that you would see watching anything else. So. All right. We also talk every episode in 2021 if a child came across Conan the Adventurer, the Night of Fiery Tears, would they like it? Uh, possibly, simply because it is different than. Most anything else, I mean, the only things even close to it would be like He-Man and maybe Thundar. Other than that, you don't get a lot of shirtless sword and sorcery cartoons. So, 
I think some kids would like it. It's kind of hyper masculine, which is not a lot of uh, American cartoons like that. It now. would certainly catch your attention today for that. Yeah, and it's uh, it's not so dumbed down that they would think it's dated or anything or stupid. Uh, I think they would enjoy it. Uh, the only thing, maybe some older kids, animation-wise, not comparing to the animation they're used to that they grow up with. Well, you can say that about anything nowadays. You got a point there. Well, what did you think out there? Did you like Conan the Adventurer, the Knight of Fiery Tears? If you liked it better than us, great. If you didn't like it at all, that's fine, too. We can't take that away from you. We're all about debate. We always like to hear what people have to say. You can go to my social media, leave your comments. And uh, while you're there, if you could follow me on Twitter, I'm at Matt Spectro. If you go to my Facebook page, Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse, give me a follow, give me a like. I'd appreciate it. Share this podcast. Share the link. Smash that subscribe button. Give me a five-star review. Help me get the word out on Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. Franny, I know you don't have any social media to promote. Uh, you have any last words before we wrap this up? Uh, you can check out my eBay store, Static Vintage. All the things you don't need but really want. And thank you for having me. Any Hasbro Conan figures on that eBay page? No. And there you have it. Please uh, give me a comment. Give me a like. Tell me what you think. I always want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for future episodes, I'd like to hear those too. Guests, whatnot. If there are any other comic podcasts listening who would like to be my special guest, please hit me up as well. But until next time... Have a great week and join us again for another episode of Matt Spectro Through the Multiverse. Multiverse.